Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Dr. Leaf is here, everybody. You guys might recognize him from the last almost a year ago we've been talking about uh, um we did our first podcast so on my reading i'm rereading your book and this chapter on mtor i mean i've heard of it before my dad was the first one to tell me about it and then i started hearing about it on podcast and a lot of people from the anti-aging space even are discussing this and this is like Maybe we can do like a brief overview and then we could get into the trenches. But Dr. Leaf is the author of The Secret Language of Cells. I highly, highly recommend. It's pretty close. Well, it's the closest book I've read to like kind of what I want to do. But yours goes in like great detail on certain areas. I want to cover a wider range and less detail <laughs> and that's what i'm capable of writing i think but i'm in the re- i'm definitely in the researching phase so this is a must read book links underneath dr leaf thanks again for coming on well you're welcome i do want to mention one thing since you mentioned the book um i did write it without jargon so anyone can read it any because uh, as i wrote it the editors kept putting in jargon and I kept taking it out. So they'd say, well, call this a leukocyte. I said, no one knows what the hell a leukocyte is. Call it a white blood cell because everyone knows what a white blood cell or an immune cell. So I very meticulously took out every piece of jargon that I could find. Uh, Instead of epithelial, endothelial, I say lining cells. Anyway, so but it is does have a lot of technical details, but it's in plain English, I think. And anyone anyone can understand it. Um, Thank you for that. Because yes, I mean, it's my purpose in writing it. So it wouldn't because basically the premise of the book is that jargon has blinded us to the reality of what's really going on because it's so complicated to read i see myself as a translator i read this uh at you know the best journals gobbledygook molecular biology molecular genetics and i basically translate it into english (laughs) but no one can understand this stuff because of the receptors and the genes they all have different names some of them have five or six different names because they were discovered in five or six different ways like the mTOR we're going to talk about what a ridiculous name um you know so uh it's uh it's it's impossible for anyone, even down the hall, people don't understand all the genes and receptors of researchers who are in the same institute, you know. So 
there's no way anyone can understand all this. But so with a lot of uh, labor, I translated it into English and then was able to see the forest from the trees. And the forest is that everything in biology is based upon communication. It's based upon signaling. It's based upon cells sending signals to each other, uh, immune cells talking to neurons, neurons talking to each other, talking to brain cells, capillary cells instructing stem cells, instructing uh, the brain cells to lay down myelin. It's just for infections, calling for blood infections. So I wrote about the communication of brain cells, body cells, cancer cells, then the tiny microbes, even viruses are part of the conversation. They clearly communicate. And then the last section is compartments of the cells. They're called organelles, like an organ is part of the body, an organelle is part of a cell. And these organelles talk to each other because some of them are old microbes to begin with. The mitochondria was a microbe. It still is. That's basically joined forces with a larger cell. Probably the nucleus was too, but we don't know that yet. Uh, but all, so you have these organelles. Um, the last, the very last chapter was a teaser talking about mTOR because I knew then, I know a lot more now, when did you write this book? Uh, well, it was published in September of uh, 2020. Wow. Oh, 2020. So okay. It was the last editing I was able to do was in uh, March, April, May of 2020. So that's mm. two years ago. And some of this stuff is, is older. And as I say in the book, everything changes every year, but it's still, I think it's still very up to date because it was so advanced uh, in what I was writing. Um, the vast majority is up to date. What I've learned more is how it works because we didn't know how it worked back then, three years, you know, in the ancient prehistoric era, two years ago. Um, so when I came to mTOR, I had gave it as an example of a molecule that is able to communicate with other molecules as if it's a cell, as if it's an organelle. That's what was so mysterious about mTOR. It has many, many ways of signaling. And only now do I understand how that works, because at that point, we didn't know how a molecule could set up um, these complexes that are like organelles without membranes. So there's uh, so. Let me first talk about mTOR, and then I'll tell you where 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 it's heading and where it is now. Uh, okay. And it's probably the most important thing to understand about current research, I think, uh, is is the phase separation. It's called. Um, anyway, so mTOR depends on who you ask, but the M stands for mammalian. Uh, for most people, uh, there are other. M reasons, and the TOR are target of rapamycin. Rapamycin was discovered. It, it's a fungus, uh, a molecule made by a fungus that's an antibiotic, an immune drug, and it was discovered in in the island that the book Aku Aku was written about, where they have Easter Island, where they have those um, pictures, the, the, those stone figures of faces. And that place is called Rapa Nui. So it was called Rapamycin. And then they found Rapamycin, and they found it was a very interesting molecule that did a lot. And then they realized after a while that what it does is it's it target it's the target of another molecule, a more important molecule that they named the target of rapamycin, and other other chemicals also circled around this target of rapamycin, and then they found there were different ones, so they called it mammalian target mm -hmm. of rapamycin, and that's where mTOR came from. So it's a very stupid name. Well, I have a question. So 
yeah and thank you for the explanation and so this and i this is this reminds me of when i read about um you know like pre-covid everyone was getting into cbd and 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 the uh, therapeutic benefits of uh cannabidiols and it 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 surprised me that when i was reading that back then that our bot our cells already had receptors for these things and you know these are not naturally occurring things in our bodies and then mTOR same thing like why do we have a molecule in our body that's a target of something that's not in our body like and how many more of these things do like why it's almost as if something new or evolved like were people eating this this uh fungus back in the day and they evolved this or like why what's the reason for that do you think the reason uh well you know we don't ask we don't find reasons in science we find what is <laughs> uh there are no reasons for anything it, it, fair, it enough, is, fair enough as they say it is what it is but um we basically find what exists now people say well why Everyone reads about microbes. They're so important. They do this, obesity, this, that, and the other. Every day you read something new. Microbes are very influential in the brain and anxiety and depression. How can they do that? Well, the reason is very simple, but it's not emphasized. But I show in my book how since everything is based upon signaling between cells and molecules now uh, and organelles, but cells certainly, um, the whole idea of molecule signaling is a new uh, level to this whole thing, and it's not widely understood, but uh, that's where my next book is going, is the deeper layers of... Wow, uh, I didn't know book. you're writing. You're writing a new book? Yeah, and communication. Uh, it's slow, because I'm doing a lot of other research and other things, but um, and I'm... Uh, but I've spent the last two, three years trying to understand how some of this stuff works, uh, what I did in the book is I just painted a picture of it, a panoramic picture of the life of the cell. But how do, how does it work? And there are so many ways that they communicate, like this new thing. Uh, I had mentioned nanotubes and sacs, but it turns out this is much more important than people realized back then. There's nanotubes between all the cells, and that's a major way that uh, communication goes on. But so why are microbes so important? The reason they're important is because they are cells that speak the exact same language as our cells. So do fungi. They speak the same language, different dialects, but they can understand each other because the chemical words, the electrical words, the RNA words, the, uh, the peptides, the lipids are all a universal language. And that's how a microbe can influence our cells so significantly because they join in in the conversation and influence the whole uh, f physiology. I can't tell you why that is. I can't, also can't tell you why there is communication at the level of human beings, at the level of the Internet and society through the whole Earth, at the level of organs talking to each other, at the level of the fetus arranging things at the level of cells talking to all kinds of things inside the cell and molecules talking to other molecules. What is that? Is that, well, it's information. We don't know what, we don't know what intelligence is. We don't know what consciousness is. We don't know what mind is. We don't know what, uh, but we do know that this information exchange, the communication is going on at every layer. And we don't have an explanation for that because our science is very narrow-minded still. And I think uh, that's Don't assume, for example, subjective experience. Well, how stupid can we be? Subjective experience is the one thing we really do know. Everyone knows they have subjective experience. You don't need a scientist to tell you that. Mm -hmm. But they're trying to say we don't. We, it doesn't exist. It's an epiphenomenon because we don't include it in our physics. Well, it will be included in our physics at some point, but that's future. We just don't know enough. What was fascinating about mTOR is that mTOR, okay, I talk about it as a molecule. It's just a simple molecule. But what it does is it forms clusters of molecules that are membrane-less. They are organelles without membranes. Um, 
And this was the first big example of this, but it turns out this is happening everywhere in the cell. And I'll talk about that because that's the most significant thing that we've learned in the last two years. So mTOR somehow is able to keep track of all the materials in the body, the levels of amino acids, the levels of lipids, the levels of sugars. Now, lipids and sugars are just as complicated and maybe even more important than proteins, but we don't know anything about them. We're just scratching the surface of learning. Now, lipids, proteins have 20 amino acids and they form these structures. And finally, the AI, DeepMind, has figured out how to find out many structures, which is wonderful. So it's a fairly simple thing compared to lipids. Lipids have almost an infinite variety of branching molecules. Saturation here, saturation on one and four, saturation over here, um, no saturation, a branch at eight, a branch at 16, endless. It's like ubiquitin. Ubiquitin is almost endless tagging uh, language. So lipids are an extremely, you talk about uh, CBD, I mean, anandamide, all these, these are lipids. These are part of the lipid signaling system. The, the brain is has most, most of the molecules are lipids. We know almost nothing about them. Also sugars, sugars are how microbes communicate. The, the spike protein, they all have sugars. Sugars are the same branching, almost infinite structure. We know almost nothing about it. We know a lot about proteins. We know a lot about DNA and RNAs. We're just, but these other two are just as important in scratching the surface. But M, so I'm going to talk about proteins because mTOR, there's more known about what mTOR does with proteins because we know more about proteins. But mTOR keeps track of all the molecules. So molecules are constantly sent around the cell and then broken down and they're collected. Uh, through waste products brought by sacs to endocytosis to the lysozyme, which is probably the most important organelle in the body. mTOR sits right next to the lysozyme. The lysozyme, everyone thought it was a garbage disposal, but it's vastly more important. It has 50 different enzymes that can break down anything. So it breaks down all the molecules. The, the measuring dice, the computer of the lysozyme is mTOR sitting there, creates these huge molecular complexes that do a lot. And so for example, among proteins, they measure how much of each of the amino acids we have, how much do we need, how are we gonna get it? We're gonna break down this protein and this protein. Uh, we're gonna recycle it and then send it over here and send it over there. Uh, mTOR is doing all that. mTOR we know in order to make a protein, you have to have a, a ribosome and the mTOR goes and starts the ribosome. The mTOR uh, is, is deeply involved in the whole process of making proteins and RNA, but it's also involved with fats and sugars, but we don't know anything about it yet. Okay, so how can a molecule do all that? It's ridiculous, right? It forms two, basically we know it forms two complexes, torch one and torch two, and these are signaling platforms. They're like, they're like a cell inside the cell. So the question is, how can that be? Well, I, I, I scratched my head for a long time about that, but we now know that the cell is much more dense than anyone imagined. Like when you talk about an axon sending um, uh, sending a signal with, through sodium channels, blah, 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 blah. The way we learned about that is we took a squid axon, which was large, we emptied it out, we put saline solution in it, thinking of course a cell is a saline solution, and we then measured the electricity. This is all wrong. It's not a saline solution. It's an extremely dense, colloidal, polymer-rich um, thing that has all the... I've spent a lot of time learning about um, soft chemistry. The, the, when you go from uh, a liquid to a slightly less liquid, to a gel, to a solid, to... But there's all kinds of gradations between a, an aggregate that you can't, that's insoluble, like amyloid beta forms, and 
proteins are going between all these states normally. They go from a, a, an unstructured uh, form and they vibrate between gels and various structures. But these, these unstructured proteins turns out to be the most important thing because they're very flexible. And they can grab on, like in the nuclear pore, they sit there like tentacles, grabbing onto this, grabbing onto that. They can fluctuate and they can change and they can do all kinds of things. It's not like there's one domain. It's like there's 20 domains and in a, in a, in a flexible moving structure that then can do all kinds of things. So in the nuclear pore, but so the way it works is the, okay, so I'm condensing a lot of material in a fast thing. So the cell is not dilute. As a matter of fact, if you have more than four layers of oxygen, four layers of water, so every so you have these large proteins with little polar areas, little crevices, all kinds of structures and things. And this protein does a lot of stuff and it, it also causes reactions to occur. The assumption has been reactions occur through through diffusion. Well, that's ridiculous because it's too slow, way, way too slow. It has to be much more structured than that. And it is. So basically, you have this large protein and you have water surrounding it, every molecule. You know, every ion is covered with water. Every sodium is covered with water in different shapes. And that's how the ion channels work. They only allow things through based upon uh, the shape of the water structure that surrounds the sodium, not just the sodium. But the water is forming this envelope surrounding the protein in various ways, either hydrophobic, hydrophilic, polar, whatever, ionic, all of these ways. You have some ions there too. And then you have another layer of water doing slightly different and another layer. If you have more than four layers, you can't have life. Life can't exist without a dense and the way. So what happens is you have large protein molecules that are attracted through these grab the large proteins, another one, another one, and more and more of these proteins, they're brought together and they form a, a globule, really, and they're attracted and form crevices. They basically form rivulets between them and those rivulets you can affect them so you have these two large molecules near each other and you have a rivulet in between it of maybe four four water molecules and if you phosphorylate at the head of it you change the characteristics maybe you open it or close it so these are really semiconductors is what it is so the the rivulets of the large protein conglomerations are semiconductors and it works like a computer in that respect, but it's a you know it's a living computer. Uh, so what we found now is that when you get that close to each other, there is electromagnetic communication between them, literally photons, literally, and you form cavities where quantum effects can occur, tunneling can occur. That's proven. Not only is it proven, but these it used to be thought that the tunneling can't occur because of the messiness of biological systems but in these highly condensed um clusters you have crevices where it's actually better for the tunneling and that's how the reactions occur bing bang 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 that's how they can occur so fast and that's what life is based upon upon these clusters these clusters occur everywhere all down the dna there are many of them in the nucleus. The RNA is forming them. They're in the cytoplasm. Uh, all these, uh, most of the reaction. Now, some of them are like the mitochondrian where you place them in a membrane, uh, cluster, but most are not. Most are just, and what they happens is they phase separate. When these condense together, it's like an oil droplet in water. It's called a water phase separation where you have, it's a little bit like a gel, but it's not. It, it, it still has those rivulets moving between them, but it can condense more and become solid. It can do that as well. So mTOR brings together these clusters and the action happens in the clusters and then it dissolves it. 
And so these these clusters are made like all along the DNA molecule. When you have those thirty things triggering uh, inhibitors, and 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 uh, you have these clusters, these phase separation. You, what we're finding is phase separation is everywhere, and that's how it works. It works through dense uh, clusters of large molecules with intense effects in between them, down the rivulets in between them. And I mean, I we don't understand everything, but you know, of course we don't. But this is what it's looking like as to how it operates. Because the other model is impossible. Diffusion is like thousands of times too slow for life to be occurring. So mTOR is what's that? What would the fusion actually be? Like, is was that the way we were taught? back in uh, oh yeah they still are but most people aren't even aware of this now yeah we're still taught that it all happens through random diffusion which is absurd it's ridiculous uh it's impossible meaning if you want like a channel to open randomly uh an ion comes near it triggers something to open is that what you're talking yeah It, it, it but it's not what's not understood is that it's based upon a crowded colloid it's a crowded polymer so you have to look at polymer science. You really have to look at pol and polymer science understands, you know, maybe three large molecules, maybe two types, three types, and it gets extremely complicated. But here we're talking about 50 types, each one with different properties, all brought together into these phase separated clusters. So it's vastly complicated. I mean, way, way, way beyond what we know now, but at least we know where the chemistry is heading and where it's going and where the quantum effects are occurring. So the communication between these molecules is on the minute level. And a lot of it is electromagnetic because obviously we know everything is quantum. I mean, every reaction occurs because electrons form orbitals and the orbitals connect. Every molecule is based on orbitals, which is quantum. But the, the, the more intricate stuff, the tunneling, the entanglement, the all this other stuff occurs when you have very protected niche in the in cavities that are very protected and form a quantum environment. And then the reactions can occur extremely rapidly. So I hope I destroyed all illusion. <laughs> well, you did, uh, <laughs> which is why this is amazing, because like. I feel like in biology class, you know, they oversimplify things for the purposes of teaching you the fundamentals. But Absolutely. the danger is that we assume things are simple <laughs> inside, outside the cells, everything in between. So mTOR, it lives inside the cell, like it just floats it's around inside. lives inside the cell right next to the lysozyme, lysosome. It's not the lysozyme. That's the enzyme. It's a lysosome. Okay. I'm so sorry. Lysosome yeah. is a vesicle. A zyme is an enzyme. I was using the wrong word. It's the lysosome. Is an organelle, well-known, and mTOR sits there as a monitor telling the lysosome how much material we need to make, how many proteins do we need, and then mTOR yeah. goes and helps make it happen. But it does it through building these complicated machinery it has two versions of this one and two and they do different things some do this and some do that but they form these factories these very complicated factories so that was where what led me to understand how it works but then it's obvious now two two years later these clusters are everywhere in the cell all through the nucleus. There are 20 different kinds of clusters in the nucleus. Uh, they're called nuclear bodies, and there's many of them. And these are these droplets. What they are are phase-separated droplets with dense material in them doing delicate, intricate stuff that could not be done otherwise. So the nucleus can have small proteins there? The, the nucleus has... 20, maybe 100 of these droplets. One of them is, many are involved in making ribosomes. Many are involved in making uh, 
They're involved in the whole RNA DNA process, mm. the protein process. All of this are done through transcriptase and all that. All of that are done through through droplets, through condensed factories. Uh, so these droplets are they? They're based upon chemical phase separation. When you get a mm. dense group of molecules together, it changes from a liquid to a droplet. It's like oil. It's like an oil wow. drop water. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely not as simple as uh, we learned <laughs> in no, school. That's why. Now, I, what I said about polymer chemistry, you know, almost everything are polymers today. You know, all the, everything we have, everything we build are polymers. But the science is very advanced. I don't want to denigrate polymer science. I've been reading. Pol it's funny. My father was a chemist and I. Uh, I tell people I'm the I'm the result of a fight between a chemist and a sociologist because my mother was a sociologist and my father was a chemist. But um, so the polymer is very advanced and we make all these rubbers and we make all these plastics and all these products are all polymer science. But, and certain things happen when you put two big molecules together and you make it condensed. The properties change of the droplet. Okay, and it forms a gel, and then it forms a solid, and it forms. There's like twenty. It's a continuum of twenty different states of matter, and these different states of matter. But we only know about scientifically if you study the most advanced chemistry that we have, making all the wonderful things we make, or the terrible things we make, uh, depending on whether you care about the environment. Um, it's nowhere near enough to understand how you put together 50 large molecules in a droplet to make DNA. <laughs> so right. we're nowhere near understanding it, but it is, it comes down to polymer chemistry and quantum tunneling and various things and electromagnetic communication. That's it's going to so come down. Are polymers like precur precursor to so they're protein. They're what's the difference between large molecules? Any kind of or, large molecule is a polymer. So what? Like, how would you differentiate uh, protein? You take, peptide? Any, you, you take a protein, a protein. You take a peptide. You take a small sugar. You take a small lipid, and you put eight of them together. They call that an oligomer. When you put fifty of them together, it's called a polymer. I gotcha. Okay. These are just big molecules. And protein and is what large molecule. Mtor is not a polymer. It's a small protein that brings these together. I see. I see. It's a trigger. It's a trigger of the clusters. It's a triggers the factories that do the work. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely like and we're still learning about most of this stuff, right? Like the effects of mTOR. Just scratching the surface. What I'm telling you. I don't know if you'll learn it anywhere else. I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but I <laughs> I don't it's, see it anywhere else. The simple explanation of it, you know. So a lot of my, most of the viewers and listeners, thank you guys, by the way, get Dr. Leaf's book, as you can tell. And I can't wait till your next book. I didn't even know you're writing one, but. Well, I'm trying to make that simple. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. The, my previous book, my current book is simple. It's easy to understand, although it's deep, I think, and complicated. It's dense, it, too. Like, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff, but it's simple. Anyone can, anyone, a high school kid can read it. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to now figure out a way to write this other stuff in a way that's readable. Yeah, that's the challenge. But um, so anyways, oh, yes. So researchers, you know. Like we're in the 2020s, we're seeing all kinds of, we're hearing about advancements, AI learns how proteins fold, um, we're learning about CRISPR, we're starting to see the beginnings of CRISPR like actually getting approved and we're starting to learn about microbiome research, immunotherapy, anti-aging, a lot of anti-aging stuff, right? Like this is going to be a busy industry, mRNA platform, whether you like how it was rolled out or not, this is a technology that they're going to work on mTOR are they do you anticipate a lot of money to be spent looking well at here's the problem any drug that's targeted mTOR does too many things and therefore has a lot of side effects because when you deal with a drug with a molecule that's a pivot central 
pivot for like 50 things. You can't do one of those things with, with, a, with a simple intervention. So all the drugs that target, that are involved with mTOR rapamycin are dangerous drugs. They're used, they're very important drugs. They're used for immune, uh, like with uh, transplants. I mean, they're, they're used when necessary, but they have a lot of side effects. That When they've tried to deal with cancer, uh, you get a lot of side effects. They're very powerful. It's an extremely powerful way to deal with it. And that's true of any, there are other now similar, I, I have at least 20 other examples of mTORs now that I could write about uh, in a book, but I'm not sure I want to go into that much detail rather than explain how it works. But once you get a central player, so like CRISPR, I I, I don't know. I have an old-fashioned notion that patenting something we did not invent that is in, in nature, like a DNA, like there's people who, who patented the, uh, the breast cancer gene and yet anytime you try to deal with breast cancer, you have to pay this patent. It doesn't seem ethical to me to patent DNA that 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 was created before we, you know, any human beings were on the earth. Um, CRISPR is one of 50, at least, defense mechanisms that microbes use to fight against viruses. They just, there are many, many versions of this. And there are many ways that viruses react and attack the CRISPR or deal with it. Of course, we talked last time about, about how important viruses are for the good, not just for bad. I mean, uh, half of our DNA are from viruses, myelin's from virus, uh, uh, placentas are from virus, digestive enzymes are from virus, alternative splicing are from viruses. The, our brain is based upon viral genes. Stem cells are from viruses. So all of these these products are from viruses put into our DNA that are helping us do a whole lot of stuff. So viruses are good. They are the basis of information in, in, on Earth, but they're bad also when you uh, tread in the wrong place and screw up the ecology and then start an epidemic. But um, so CRISPR is one of many defense mechanisms in, and the problem with this is that like any synthetic biology, there are many untoward, many things happen that you can't predict because you're dealing with extremely complicated uh, structures. And when you mess with it here, you cause 10 other things to happen. So while I am all for CRISPR, actually I'm all for the microbe who invented CRISPR and the virus who helped them invent CRISPR, but there are many, many others are gonna appear uh, similar. And when you start using it and snipping and cutting here and there, you don't really know what's going to happen is the problem. Um, so it remains right. to be seen uh, right. what's going to happen. Yeah. And you can maybe use the same logic for the mRNA platform um, as far as like. No, I don't think so. Right? No, I don't think so. Messenger RNA is a simple reality. Uh, alternative splicing became... Uh, I, I don't know if most people realize that alternative splicing, you know, we discovered there are introns and exons. We discovered there's editing going on. And then we discovered, wow, how do you, you know, the Genome Project in 2000, how do you have 20,000 genes and, you know, 200,000 proteins or more? Well, you edit it in various ways. But then it's discovered that this editing comes from viral viral genes. These are viruses. So when, when, when they won the Nobel Prize for forming uh, limited stem cells, they were using transcription factors that are from viral DNA, so there's the 2% of what we call genes, although we have to redefine genes because the current definition doesn't really make any sense. Then there's 8% that are from retroviruses, four times as much. And then there's 50% of the DNA or jumping genes are basically viruses. And of those, a lot of them are active, not most. And there's a constant, we have our own CRISPR fighting against the jumping genes and the ones that 
produce things, that's where evolution is occurring. It's the fight from the cell to control jumping genes. But the thing is, those jumping gene products allowed alternative splicing to exist. And the place where that happened the most in nature is the brain, but particularly the human brain. So the human brain has the most alternative splicing, and that's why it developed so amazingly rapidly in 30 million years. So it went from this to this in 30 million years, and it's because of alternative splicing, which is dramatic in the brain, and that's from virus virus genes. So that was a gift to the viruses, our brain. And the myelin's a gift from the viruses. Anyway, that's another story, I guess. Um, well, it just shows you how complex everything is, and that probably is a whole another set of podcasts, you know, on what can be commercialized, what should be, do we want to give incentives? I mean, you can bring this down to the peptides, right? Like you can't patent a peptide unless it's certain chains, uh, from what I understand, like it has to meet a certain length of chains, but most of them are effective at under that length. So how are right. we going to get them? <laughs> I mean, there's really no incentive, right? Um, I don't understand business. Uh, I, 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 I'm basically a scientist. Uh, I, I've i never been great at business, so I don't try. Um, although yeah. I am trying to help figure out what what should be researched. You know what I mean? You see? Yeah, I mean, that question alone is like, could be its own profession. Like, what should be researched? Yeah, and then you've got like health economic outcomes to consider, all kinds of things. Anyways, I mean, we can just talk for five hours um, and just. Well, let me just say, well, you said health economic outcomes. So the head <laughs> of National Institute of Health 15 years ago says you can't develop a preclinical drug unless you have a mechanism of action. But we don't have any mechanisms of actions. Every psychiatric drug have been accidents. And once we get the accident. We then look at the structure. We find other receptors. We find we make molecules based upon what we're learning about that molecule. Make new molecules. They're all accidents, and there. Were, so the pipeline was destroyed in CNS, and now they realize that. So they're going around saying we need to uh, have more help for psychiatric patients in the world rather than deinstitutionalizing them, throwing them on the streets, which is basically what they did. They, we need to actually have community services. This whole thing about community services was a joke. These people ended up in nursing homes, prisons, and on the streets. There's no They destroyed the, the big treatment centers, state hospitals, and said, we're doing community services, but they never did. And so instead, they were just in those three places, prisons, nursing homes, and the streets. We need real community services. So uh, they're finally realizing that. I don't know if we're going to do it or not. Yeah, no, and CNS on its own is like enough to keep, I think, our industry busy for the next decade, if not longer. And that's right. just CNS. I mean, I didn't even mention it when I brought up the other therapeutic indications earlier. It was like an right. afterthought, but it's that alone is big enough to feed our industry. So there's definitely a demand for more workforce in this industry, more research. Um, the question really is like, you know, and this is where business kind of meets science. But back to mTOR, like, yeah, to me, it's just amazing. Like when I was reading in this, how I asked you earlier, like, we have this thing for rapamycin, but that doesn't occur naturally uh, in our body. And then you brought up or you basically debunked the diffusion uh, mechanism for most cell cell to cell interaction or, or molecule to molecule interactions. Right. Right. Uh, Let me mention about fungus. So fungus, sure. fungus, to me, the two prominent, the dominant life forms on Earth are viruses and fungus. So fungus, and we don't study fungus. Fungus, mm. not bacteria, we, not like bacteria. Mm. We know so much about bacteria. We know almost nothing about fungus. We're just scratching the surface. So fungus were necessary for plants to come out of the ocean onto land. They prepared and stayed in contact with organisms that come out of the sea by connecting them all through fungus. Fungus can be a cell, they can be a, a wire, a network, or they could be a, an organism that's miles large. 
They, they have infinite variety. Uh, fungus make more products than anything. They make all of our, everything probably comes from fungus and mushrooms. So my mushrooms are just one form of fungus. So any kind of chemical, you should go and look at fungus. There's billions and billions of chemicals there, um, viruses and fungus. Anyway, so we know now that funguses form wire between every plant and send signals. And they're signaling between trees. They're signaling that help their comrades. They're signaling between all the plants. But we're part of that too. Fungus are connected to humans. So there's fungus everywhere in humans. These are microscopic. So fungus are connecting everything through signaling. And that's why they would know what molecules you want because they're connected to everything and it they're talking sense. to everything. It makes a lot of sense, actually, when you thank you for that. The, as we wrap up, because we could just go on forever, we have to keep doing like more parts and not every year. Let's do it. We have to do it like more often. <laughs> um do you suspect or do they already know? I mean, you said we're just scratching the surface. mTOR, because it's um, it has two complexes, right? So it's it's a it's not a protein, is it? Or is it a protein? It's a small protein. Small protein. Do you suspect that a lot almost of... A almost a peptide. Do you suspect that a lot of illness are due to this misfolding of mTOR? And, uh, and does that have anything to do with aging? Like, does any of the evidence suggest... Something mTOR is right in the middle of aging. But you have to be aware that senolytics are a mixed blessing. They can cause harm and good. So the question is, do you want an aging cell or do you want to kill it and get rid of the aging cells? Uh, do the aging cells, like for example, white blood cells, leukocytes, come to an infection and there's a signal for a dying uh, leukocyte for the phagocytes to clean up, okay? But if the white blood cell never dies, but just stays alive, but, but dying, it sends signals, it keeps the phagocytes going, it builds inflammation, and it causes chronic inflammation. So you get arthritis, you get all kinds of uh, chronic inflammation, from a dying cell, if it would just die or go away, we now know that they can signal and tell the leukocyte to leave and go somewhere else. If it would go somewhere else or if it would die, you wouldn't get the inflammation. So there's dying and there's dead and they're different in, in, in many different circumstances. And uh, do, you want to pr do you want to cure that dying cell or do you want to uh, get rid of it? So th th that's a big question. In, uh, but mTOR is right in the middle of questions about aging, of cancer. Uh, you know, there are certain pathways that are like P54, uh, uh, not P54, uh, P, I'm, I'm blocking. right? 53. Um, I'm blocking the name of it. It's, it's, the, it's the central cancer uh, pathway. So it's well it's 53. known. I don't I'm yeah, not sure. <laughs> it's well known that there's an inverse correlation between neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's, and cancer. So if you, the more cancer, the less brain disease. The more brain disease, the less cancer. So people of cancer have less Alzheimer's. People of Alzheimer's wow. have less Okay, I realize that. That is because there are pathways like this P53 that involves regeneration, multiplication, um, destruction. So you have a balancing act of making more cells, making defective cells, destroying cells. And cancer and neurodegenerative are kind of opposite in that way. Cancers are building, building, and neurodegenerative are destroying, destroying. That's a good way to put it. So wow. that's a critical piece of this puzzle also. Yeah, it's so intricate. And like the balance, I think everything, like if you had to summarize. Well, there's regeneration. Yeah, stimulation. There's regeneration, and there's uh, uh, and there's overgrowth. So cancer and regeneration are really two sides of the same coin. And aging really is just homeostasis being pushed in the favor, right? right? Like in, trying to find the balance ways in many different ways. So inflammation is right in the middle there, 
also a lot of lipids and fat. So inflammation is is a setup for cancer because you have regeneration, you have all this stuff happening. So it, chronic inflammation is a setup for cancer. Um, anyway. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll have to leave it at that and do a, a next uh, podcast soon, maybe like in Absolutely. a month or so. so. Let me know when it's out. I'll send it around on Twitter. Wow. Thank you, send Dr. The, Lee. Send me the link. I appreciate it. So underneath this video or in the podcast, if you're listening, you'll have links to Dr. Leaf's book, uh, The Secret Language of Cells. And you will also have a link to his Twitter because that's where I follow him. Like, that's yeah, where we most of the actions on Twitter. Most of the actions. So that's, yeah, like I like seeing your posts. Yours is always like, it's it's so, uh, uh, it's like a breath of fresh air because we're on Twitter. We see people fighting, talking about politics, just kind of arguing for the sake of arguing really. And then in the middle of all that, you see Dr. Leaf just straight up talking about some cellular pathway. And you're like, ah, you know, something we could uh, agree on. Like, we, <laughs> who's going to disagree on that? It's it's science. You're learning. So thank you, Dr. Leaf, um, for your Twitter. Thank you for this interview. Thank you for just helping us understand a little bit about this thing called mTOR. I know I asked the doctor that I work with. He had, he'd never heard of it. And this is a community clinician seeing tons of patients. Yeah, like it's too complicated to reach the clinics. That's the problem. Yeah, it's only, the only specialist, cancer specialists would know about it, really. Or transplant, transplant people would know about it. And these anti-aging people. So you're let me get you're a little bit skeptical about anti-aging. Like, do you think we'll get to 150 at some point soon? I don't know. I think there's a lot of hype. Mm. A lot of hype. We're actually right this minute, we're going the opposite direction. Yeah, just, I know. We lost a year. We uh, lost a year, yep. Because yep. of stupidity around viruses. <laughs> that's all another episode. <laughs> yeah, that's another... uh, Okay, so we'll have to just put this on pause and leave people on a cliffhanger. But get the book, read it, get prepared for our next interview, come up with questions, maybe topics you guys want to hear about, um, and we'll be happy to record. So thank you again, Dr. Leaf. Everybody go thank follow you, and get it's the book. To talk to you again. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye.